I am Marlon Jones, the Career Skills Architect, and this is View from the Big Chair Podcast, Examining the Cost to Be the Boss. The purpose of this podcast is to share information with students in sports administration programs and with young professionals and those who are underemployed in sports administration. We talk with guests who sit in the big chair, those persons who are directors of athletics, who are head coaches, commissioners, or directors of different areas within athletic administration. We learn from their journey, and we also learn what skill sets they look for when they are hiring for positions so that you know how to prepare so that you can get to your own big chair. Today's guest is Daryl Pope, and he is the Director of Athletics at Baltimore City Community College. Daryl, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. You've held a lot of different management positions in athletics. Tell our listeners a little about your sports administration journey. Well, um, you're, you're correct. I've held a number of positions um, over the years at different levels as well. I've been at D- Division One, II. Um, actually, I've never worked in Division Three, but uh, community college as well as Divisions One and Two. Um, started out in compliance. That was my first job. And um, fortunately or unfortunately for me, uh, depending on how you want to look at it, um, I started out at a very small Division One school that probably shouldn't have been Division One. And I say that because of their budget and the size of the department. There was just two administrators, the director who hired me and myself. Wow. And that meant even though I was director of compliance, I was also facilities manager. I was also the scheduler for teams. I was the budget person. I was the game time manager. Um, At one point, I was also the sports information director. So it was all hands on deck between the two of us. Uh, to get things done. So uh, I remember talking to him at one point saying, uh, not only did I need a raise, but I needed a title change. And he had to tell me that here in the state system, a title change means a raise and now they're going to take place. (laughs) Wow. But he was my mentor and I I learned a lot. So uh, it was a great experience. Um, I learned by fire. And um, like you said, I've, I've, worked in many facets and the ability to do that probably was helped by that experience I had at my first institution. Now, many of my students think they're going to just graduate and poof, be director of athletics. How long did it take you to actually get to that big chair? Um, Started out in 1995, my first institution. Um, 2011. Okay. Was when I first got the title Director of Athletics. Yeah. So as you can see, students, this is not something where you just spray some pixie dust on it and all of a sudden you are Director of Athletics. Now, many of our students 
overlook NCA Division II schools. What value do you think Division II has for the NCAA and for aspiring sports administrators? Well, Division III is the closest thing to what college athletics was supposed to be originally. Um, so as you move up in the divisional levels, you move further away from the original intent. At least th this is just my opinion. Some people may di think differently, but um, Division Three is, like I said, the original model. It's closer to the original model. As you move up to Division Two, it becomes more of a business. When you move into Division One, it is a business. It's a unique business, but it is a business. Money is the most important factor in how you operate, where you operate, what you're able to do, when you can do it, why you're doing it. Money dictates all of those things when you move up into Division One. Um, so Division Two, I think, is, I won't say it's a happy medium between what is closest to and what is further away. But if you want a, uh, an experience that gives you an opportunity to, for me, be a part of college athletics for the right reasons because of the experience you're trying to get to the student athletes. And at the same time, use your business acumen. Division two allows you to do both. Um, being an AD at a division two institution, I could actually get to know the students and they, they knew me. They would speak to me. They would come into my office. My door was always open. Uh, but at the same time, there were business uh, um, endeavors that I had to partake in in order to do certain things. Uh, fundraising was a part of the job. Um, I, I got the best of both worlds. I wasn't, I didn't have the luxury, nor did I, did I want to have the luxury of just being a business person who worked in college athletics or being a director of recreation and, and athletic activities. I didn't have the luxury to just say, I have on one hat, uh, which is you know, something that you should anticipate. But in division two, you really get a chance to feel like you're a part of both worlds and the mix is, is manageable. Division one, it's a, it's a lot more difficult to do that. You really, the business part of it really sort of takes precedent in division one. Division three is not as business minded. So that's why I say, if, if you had to really cut your teeth and you had a, uh, a choice, division two would probably be the best place to really cut your teeth. And then to, to figure out if division one is where you wanna go, or if division three is a better fit for you, or if you're really comfortable with the dynamic that's in division two. So I think division two is, is a great spot. It's a great training ground. It's, I think it's a better training ground than the other two options because of the mixture. Okay. Now, what about the community colleges? Most of our students don't even think about opportunities at community colleges. What, how can they use community colleges to help them advance their athletic career? Well, at a community college, it's more hands-on. You're not going to have a big staff in most cases, if, if you have a staff at all. Sometimes it's a one-man show. Um, but it's a great place to really get into the, the activity part of the job. You are scheduling. You are sometimes a coach. If that's what you want to do, then the opportunity to coach is, is more there, is, is more prevalent there than it is at the other uh, NCAA levels. Um, 
you are more hands-on with uh, faculty and staff because oftentimes, almost all the time, you're sharing space. Mm -hmm. So that dynamic is there. Mm -hmm. So your organizational skills and your communication skills have got to be really, really good because sharing space with faculty and staff when there's only one facility in most cases um, is a daunting task if you're not willing to listen and uh, be spoken to. <laughs> um, but community college will give you a chance to get in the door. The NCAA, and we may get into this in the conversation, is, is the word that they like to use in the NCAA is network. Okay. The word that I use is click. I'm from Chicago. Um, I'm from the city. There's a, the word click says more to me than the word network. Um, and because of the network click atmosphere that exists in the NCAA, don't sleep on the community college opportunity. It will get you in the door. It will allow you to have some experiences that you can put on a piece of paper and use to network or get part of it, become part of a click. But don't sleep on it. It's there. Um, the turnover is very high. So there's a lot more opportunity there. So the, the key is to get the experience and get your foot in the door however you can. Don't sit around waiting for somebody at some four-year major institution to open the door for you because it doesn't work that way. Now, you and I have both worked at HBCUs. How important is athletics to the identity of an HBCU campus? It's a mix, just like it is at uh, predominantly white colleges and universities, PWCUs. Um, some HBCUs, it is part of their identity. I can throw some names out and people will automatically know who I'm talking about. Um, whereas at some schools, they haven't seen that, um, that need, or I should say they haven't seen that opportunity as an, um, as an asset because it is an opportunity. And, and I think some of us, some of our HBCUs miss out on what could be a good thing for them using athletics. Um, when I speak to groups, uh, particularly when I'm speaking to faculty and staff at an institution, I say something to them that they don't necessarily always appreciate, but they have to stand back for a second and say, hold up, I get it. Athletics is the front porch of an institution. I don't care what institution you're talking about. And it's because athletics is the one department on a college campus, be it major Carnegie One research institution, be it small community college. It is the one department on every college campus that everybody in the surrounding community who's not attending that school or working there understands without question. You don't have to be a rocket science to understand that a team just won a game or a match. And it's the one department on a campus regardless of what size campus you're talking about or whether or not it's a research institution or a teacher uh, uh, college, it's the one department on the campus that can bring everybody together at one time. That being the case, it would behoove you to use that, that fact to benefit the overall institution. It is literally the front porch. That being the case, a lot of major institutions have, have seen that dynamic and they've used it to their, their advantage and market the school through their athletic program. Now you do it the right way and it won't affect the image 
or the perception that you have of that you'd like to have of your institution academically. You just have to, the mix has to be the right way. Um, some of our HBCUs have not seen that. They haven't go, go, gotten on the bandwagon, if you in my way of putting it. I think they should, because it is an opportunity out there where you can get branding and marketing without paying for it up front. And the residual payoff pays off for decades, literally. And I can give you some examples okay. uh, that people will go, oh, yeah, you're right. Share one but with us. I'll give you the best one there is. I'm going to say a name. You tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Fighting Irish. Notre Dame. All right. How many people, how, what, let me ask you a question. What does it take as a student to get into Notre Dame? Uh, high grades, high test scores, and a whole lot of money. There you go. 1300 will get you in on the waiting list. Whoa. Yes. <laughs> on the wait list, which are 1300. Yes, 1300. Uh, Notre Dame is one of the top 50 universities on this planet. It is a Carnegie Institution Research One University, okay? Tier one. I mean, that's the top of the top. People don't know that in general, but they know what? The Fighting Irish. And that name in and of itself pays dividends for that institution because they don't have to pay for that marketing. They are one of the top brands in the United States. You know, when you talk about branding and how important it is, one word stands out. The number one brand on the planet is Coke. You say Coke, everybody automatically, it doesn't matter if you're in Russia, they know what you're talking about. Right. Branding is huge. Notre Dame has branding from here to eternity through that name, that title to Fighting Irish. You automatically think of that institution and they don't have to pay for it anymore. That's a good so point. It's a, it's a missed opportunity for HBCUs who don't understand that dynamic. Now you have changed institutions multiple times. How do you know when it's time to pivot and leave one opportunity and pursue the next? <laughs> you asked that question as though um, I'm an expert at it. And I, uh, I was always, it was always the right move. Um, throughout, when you look back in your career, you can always say maybe that wasn't a good move. I'm no different. A couple of times I left an institution for what I thought was the right reason, but if I, in hindsight, I, I, I probably would not have done so. Um, there were times that I left an institution because I didn't see any, I didn't see a future in 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 that at that institution for me. Um, there were times I left an institution because of what was happening. I didn't want to be a part of it. Uh, I'm not going to mention names, but when your institution is in the news for reasons that have nothing to do with what you're trying to do, and you're getting phone calls in the evening asking if you're a part of that, mm -hmm. then you have to think whether or not you need to be there. Um, oftentimes, movement in in collegiate administration and for your students who want to get into this business, you better have some thick skin. Um, your ego needs to be wrapped tight 
to the extent that there's some things that you better know quick, fast, and in a hurry that you are good at. And it's not about having a big head. Just make sure that you are good at those things and hold on to it because there will be times when people will question whether or not you're actually good at certain things. So you hold on tight to what you know for a fact about yourself. You need to be secure because the insecurity lives and breathes in this industry. Um, oftentimes, what you will find is when you're at an institution, the people that you report to are not necessarily in charge. When you work in college athletics, there is this concept, and people in sports know this, they call it the, um, the fifth man or the, uh, the 11th man, you know, the, the one who comes in off the bench or the one who sits on the side who has an influence. Well, in college athletics administration, that individual or those individuals are usually supporters, what we call boosters. Oftentimes they're running the show and you're not reporting to them directly, but you are indirectly. And they're dictating what, when, how, why, and who. So you need to understand that dynamic, particularly if you wanna sit in a big chair, you will be having a conversation with your boss Simultaneously, they're having a conversation with the donor. <laughs> and sometimes what you all discuss may not be what can be put on paper. Right. And it definitely won't be what happens. And then you're left with trying to make sense of that as the person who's in charge and stay within the rules. If, if you're a person who has integrity and wants to hold on to it and then you, at the same time, you have to be able to communicate this dichotomy to the public, to the student athletes, to their parents, to the other alum who may not have that influence. And in your head, it's not making any sense, but it better come out like it, it does. So <laughs> it, it's, it's a difficult seat to sit in. If you want to be the athletic director at big, big, I, I won't say any names, if you want to be the athletic director at Big U, that's in the three-letter conference, um, you better be prepared for things that you didn't think were going to happen, conversations you can't believe that you're in, and being pulled from people who will never show their face in the light of day. You have to deliver other people's messages with the conviction as if it were your own. All the time. All the time. My first AD said something to me that I laughed at at the time. And then later on, he became a mentor of mine. And I miss him to this day. Um, I, I, I asked him about a report that um, he asked me to do. And it was really difficult. And I was like, why am I doing this? This shouldn't be my job, first of all, because it, it involved knowing people's salaries and things like that. I'm like, why am I doing And I said, shouldn't this be your job? He said, well, yeah, it is, but you're doing it. I said, but he says, your job is to make me look good. <laughs> and I, stopped, I just laughed. He says, no, I'm serious. Your job is to make me look good. All day, and, every day. All day, every day. And then he said, he, he added a caveat, which let me know 
that he was willing to be my mentor as well as my boss. And, and I really appreciate it. He said, and as long as you do that willingly, I will look good and I will move up and you will move up with me. And you need to understand that that is the dynamic that takes place at many organizations. It doesn't matter if it's college athletics or not. You work to make someone else look good oftentimes. And if they appreciate that, then they will bring you along with them. And then there will be one day when someone will be doing the same thing for you. And I thought about it a few days after that. And I was like, you know what? He just gave me something very valuable. He gave me a lesson that I still hold on to this day. Um, when I'm being asked to do something, I have to ask, is this really my job? <laughs> well, maybe it isn't, maybe it isn't, but it's what is going to help us all move forward. It's your job today. Today. <laughs> yeah. Now, a lot of young professionals get confused about what they need to concentrate on. When you're hiring people to work on your staff, whether they're coaches or administrators, what are some of the key skill sets that you're looking for them to already possess before you hire them? The one that people, too many young people gloss over is the one that they take for granted, the ability to communicate. If I ask you to inform a, a, a team, let's just say, it's, if I ask you to inform the soccer team about something that's going to take place, your communication skills need to be such that I don't have to worry that what I'm saying to you is going to be conveyed to them verbatim to the extent that they understand exactly what I intend for them to know without me being there. If you have to speak to the public at large, your ability to, as we were talking before, communicate the message clearly that may not be a message that you really feel should be given because it's somebody else's message. Your ability to communicate that needs to be spot on because one word and you've opened up Pandora's box. So your ability to communicate and speak in such a way that it is clear succinct um, and doesn't muddle the waters is hugely important. And too many young people coming along the way think because they have good diction that they're good at communicating or the ones who don't have good diction don't take the time to learn how to speak better, to use the proper words, to enunciate such that people don't have to ask, what did you mean? Too many times. It's always going to happen. But if they have to ask you that too many times during the conversation, then you're in trouble. <laughs> so I would say, hard. yeah, I would say communication is the most important thing. If particularly at that, at that interviewing, that, that meeting, you know, that interview, how do you come off? Do you come off as someone who sounds like they know what they're talking about, even though you're talking about yourself <laughs> at the interview? Can I trust you to talk about me if I hire you? Can I trust you to talk about those students who we represent or the institution that we work for? So communication, I would say, is the most important skill. Everything else, even communication can be taught along the way, but I need you to have certain, a certain amount of skills coming in the door with, with regards to communication. The other things 
I don't mind helping you with. I don't mind training you. I, I'm expecting to have to, uh, uh, there's going to be a learning curve. There was one for me. And I came in, my first job in college athletics, I already had my doctorate. So, you know, if I had a big head, I would have thought I already know all of this stuff. But I came in the door knowing, you know, I had to learn whether or not what I was being taught in the classroom was true. <laughs> that was my mindset. I knew it was textbook knowledge that I was being given. And I was going to be thrown into the real world. That was my mindset when I walked in, which I think helped. Um, so that, that new person coming in the door, you have got to be able to communicate to that person who's interviewing you and show that you know how to communicate their thoughts to other people, their wishes to other people, to the public, the mission of the institution. You have to be able to communicate to those students who's uh, we're trying to recruit, their parents, the media. Communication is everything. How did COVID impact your coaches and your student athletes? Oh, it shut everything down. Shoot, it shut it down completely. Um, everyone... Maybe and, and maybe it's different in other parts. I, I know it's different in other parts of the country because of politics and some other reasons. But in the place where I, I was when it all hit, um, people were really, really afraid. It was the boogeyman, literally. And people were afraid to be around each other to the extent that you had people calling well, how many people are going to be there when I show up? <laughs> Give me the lay of the land. You know, it was that kind of a, a, of a, a situation. So it affected every aspect of, of what we did. When we were kicked off campus, literally, and I'm not making this up, we were kicked off campus March 15th, 2020. Wow. We just came back to campus uh, three months ago. We were off campus for like 18 months. Wow. Yeah. I was not even allowed in the gym. That's baffling. Yeah. It is. I looked at, I'll give you an example of how things, how bad things got. Um, I work out a lot. Um, and um, one day I was at, the gyms were closed for almost a year. So when I finally got a chance to go back to the gym, I rushed back in because it was, it was part of my life, right? So I'm in the gym one day when they finally open back up after being closed for a year. And this is a commercial gym. Um, I, two letters and a city <laughs> is the name of the gym. I'm not going to give the name out. Um, but I was in the gym and I looked up at one of the television monitors and I saw my gym. I was like, what? That's my gym. And then, I, so I turned, turned it on so I could hear it. Apparently the school and the city had worked out a deal to use the gym as a vaccination center. Wow. I didn't even know. <laughs> so I'm looking at my office and the city health department had taken over my office, which is next to the gym, to, to have a vaccination. I'm like, uh, was someone going to call me? <laughs> wow. That's how drastic the changes were and the um, lack of communication. I mean, it was... It was a bizarre situation. I felt like sometimes I was reading a comic book and it wasn't real life. Wow. Uh, we've seen 
as a result of COVID and, and some of the other social issues that uh, hit our country at the same time, a lot more conversation about mental health. Yes. What do you see as the role of the ACLEV director in regards to the mental health of the student athletes to which they govern and oversee? Well, I, I've always had an open door policy for students. Uh, and what I tell students is use me as a resource, bleed me dry. Because I was a student athlete. Um, athletics opened just about every door of opportunity that I've had in my life was because of athletics. So I know where most of you are coming from. I come from an inner city. I'm a first generation college student. I'm the first person in my family to graduate from college. Many of you uh, are walking in shoes or uh, walking a path that, that uh, I've already blazed. So I know, literally when I say I know where you're coming from, I do know where you're coming from. So talk to me about whatever it is you need to talk to me about. Um, I make, make sure that wherever I'm working, I have those um, logos, those uh, plaques or signs or banners in everywhere that I work that says uh, safe space. Okay. I don't want any student, regardless of what their situation is, to feel like they can't come and talk to me. Um, because when we convince a student and their parents to attend our institution, as opposed to another, I feel like we take on that whole person and not just the person who can run jump high and fast. We take on that individual. So if you need me, I'm there for you. And if it's a mental issue or emotional issue, come in. The best thing that I can do for you and the thing that you can guarantee that I will do for you is listen. And one thing that I always say to students is there's a difference between being smart and there's a difference between being smart and intelligent. An intelligent person knows that they don't know everything. But an intelligent person knows where to find the answer. Ah. That, that's intelligence. Smart means I can figure it out. Intelligence means I know that I don't know everything, but I know where I can find the answer. And I pride myself on being an intelligent person. So when a student comes in and they're talking to me, if I can't help them through the issue, and if it's a mental health issue, chances are it's not my bailiwick, you know, unless it's something that, that I've experienced and I can at least give my example, then I'm going to say to them, do you mind if I help you find someone to help you? Because I know people to help who can help you. Uh, and that's the resource that I want to be for them. So mental health is huge, particularly because of this pandemic. It scared people. And it scared people in a way, and this is where society is going to have to come to grips with this. And I know they're going to be writing about it for decades to come. But one of the things that the pandemic did, and it was almost like a perfect storm, you had this political arena going on with Trump and what he was doing as president. And regardless of what, uh, what political party you, you are affiliated with, you have to admit that his uh, coming into the White House and coming into national poli international politics put a lot of people into their respective corners. So we were already breaking away from each other. The pandemic just exacerbated that. It made us sensitive to be around each other. All the while we were pulling away from each other because of ide ideology about politics. So it became 
political separation to physical separation. And you can't, you can't help but have that affect you emotionally and mentally. And if you're an 18 year old who's trying to figure out who or she is, you add that to the mix and you'd be lucky half of them ain't going cuckoo because of all the things that they've had to deal with. So if you're gonna be in that big chair and that's what we're talking about, don't think that you will not have to uh, have these conversations with students or staff or coaches that work for you or work with you. You will have these conversations. We are not immune to society's ills. We're part of society. You know, we, we like to think of ourselves as being special because we're healthy people. We work out. That does help. And don't think that doesn't make a difference. I ran back into that gym as soon as they started opening up because I was going crazy being stuck in the house all day. And I knew I needed a physical outlet to help my mind stay clear. My body had to help my mind get clear. I knew the connection. But it doesn't mean that it can't affect me down the line, all the things that are going on with this pandemic, the politics, and everything else that's happening. And for someone who doesn't have as, as much experience as I, as I do, an 18-year-old, a 17-year-old, I can only imagine how they're dealing with all of this. So mental health is huge right now. Um, if you are going to be in that big chair, you need to make sure that you have on speed dial those resources that are going to be necessary for those students who are going to need mental health counseling, emotional counseling, and all the everything in between because you got them for four years. That's a good point because a lot of people think that you know, once we get COVID under control, we just automatically pop back to the way we used to be. But the mental scars are there and the fallout from those mental scars are going to be there for a while. For a generation. One of the things I have to mention to my president a few weeks ago, a few months ago, um, most schools in order to survive started offering most of the classes online, virtual classes. Correct. So we were having a discussion about um, um, coming, what we're gonna do with coming back in the spring. They're trying to move most of the classes back. We're gonna transition back. And during this period of time, because athletics was shut down, they, I was asked to help out with um, uh, enrollment and recruitment and, and, and evaluating students and, and advising students. And I ended up talking to thousands of students and, and registering, I think something like six, 700 students. Um, so I was noticing something the past couple of months. And I said to our president, um, you need to be careful about how many of these classes you move back on campus versus how many you keep virtual for a couple of reasons. You have adults who have come back to school who found a way to make it work because they can stay at home with their kids don't have to be on the bus or the train or in the car for an hour there and back to campus trying to work that into a, a schedule for an adult. And you have an entire population, an entire generation of 18-year-olds who haven't set foot on your campus for a whole year. So all they know, their freshman year was virtual. Now you're going to tell them to come back to campus and act like nothing happened. Oh, no, 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 you're not. <laughs> And she was like, that's a good point. I said, yeah, 
you better be careful trying to force that generation back to campus when they haven't seen it. And you still haven't gotten, the pandemic is still going on. They've gotten used to interacting through Zoom and Teams with their professors. What are you gonna say to them? You've got to transition them somehow or another. So you, you need to have a, a nice mix to sort of wean them back into campus life. And something else that's happening, I, I, I have a nephew who's a lawyer, a corporate lawyer in Chicago. His firm, it's a big international firm, they had a discussion about a year ago and, and it's happening all over the world now. They sat down and they said, you know what? This has been working out kind of kind of good. We've been working from home and, and the business partner said, you know what? And we have saved this many millions of dollars. Do we need all this space in downtown Chicago? And they said, you know what? We don't. And if they decide that when their leases are up, they're going to have this many office spaces as opposed to this many office spaces. What are those developers and those business owners of those large corporate palaces in downtown everywhere, what are they going to do? Now that these people have downsized their space because they've decided, oh, you know, we can work remotely now. It's changing everything in our society, this pandemic. So it, the scars that you're talking about, they're not, on, they're not just scars. It's a, realiz a realization that we're making a sea change in how we operate, period. How we interact personally, how we interact commercially, business-wise. This pandemic has changed everything about our society. Wow. Hadn't and it's scary. It that way. Yeah. It, it, it is scary for a lot of people. Change is, is scary. In some ways, it's going to be a good thing. But you're asking everybody to do something very important. And here's the trigger. All at the same time. Yes. Not going to be gradual. It's boom. We don't need this space. We don't need this. We don't need that. We got to change to this. Everybody's got to make a sea change at the same time. And that is literally earth shaking. Mm. More to come. Yeah, news at 11. Now, a lot of our young professionals aspire to be an athletic director and sit in that seat. But you know, having been there at more than one institution, it takes a different set of skills to stay in that seat. What do they need to be prepared to do to remain in that position once they get there? The first word that comes to mind is compromise. You're going to have to compromise a lot of what you thought you were about. And I don't mean that you have to give up your integrity, but a lot of the ideas that you had about how you operate, how you deal with people and how you like to plan or what you like to see being done, uh, you're gonna have to temper a lot of that. Because as I said, as an AD, in most cases, you're reporting to the president. Some cases, a lot of cases, you're reporting to a, a VP, but indirectly to the president. But as I said before, you will find once you get into that big chair and the bigger the school, the more you're gonna find this. 
you're not the boss. I mean, your boss is not the only one you have to report to. Um, there are so many voices that have an influence over what you think do uh, or think needs to be accomplished. <clears throat> so I think getting into that chair and staying there requires you to understand that you have got to change and be willing to be molded into what works for that institution. Trying to hold on to how much of yourself you, you can. And like I said, it doesn't mean you have to give away your integrity because if you do, you're, you're lost. Um, but understand that the, the Dr. Darrell Pope that walked in in 2021 if he's there in 2031, will not be the same doctor, Dr. Darrell Pope that leaves. It's just, that's just the dynamic of college athletics. Remember now, you are dealing with people. Your services to people, the commodity that you are pro providing or the service you're providing is a service to, to people. So you're constantly going to be influenced, changed, dictated to 24 7. I like that. Influenced and dictated to. Now, Daryl, what's the one thing you wish you knew before you got in that seat? Um, I wish I had known how much influence that people outside the institution had, the boosters. When it, when it hit me, I remember saying to my president, my boss, these people are running the show. And I, at this, when I said it, it, it was sort of a knee-jerk reaction and I didn't think it was coming off as an insult to them as well. As it, I wasn't saying that I thought they were running that individual as well. And I think they took it that way. And that, their response was, they're not running me. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it you, but they have it in their minds that because they donate a certain amount of money, they can say what happens in the athletic program. And I'm not sure who I'm responding to half the time. I know you're saying one thing, but now you're telling me something that someone else said, who I know is a donor, but other than that, they don't work here. And we're following what they want. And I'm not sure who my boss is half the time. Uh, it was a very difficult conversation. Eventually, I, I resigned and I left that institution because one of the things that, that occurred was, and I didn't do my homework, and this is something that you, your students need to do. Do your homework about that institution that you're trying to get that job at. Um, not only the individuals, check their track record. Where were they at before? Um, look at the history of that program. I didn't do my homework at one institution and I should have my first day there, my number one assistant um, said to me, well, you know, you're the eighth athletic director in the past 10 years. And I said, that's not even possible. I, I was like, trying to do the math in my head. And at one point I had some time <laughs> to actually look back and I looked, I was like, oh Lord, they were, they were right. How is that even, and I'm thinking to myself, what happened to the, all these other people? And, and just to, this, I, I have to tell you this. One day I was having an issue with one of the coaches 
who took one of the teams to a hotel for a trip. And the hotel, when they drove up to the hotel, the um, hotel was literally throwing mattresses off the second floor balcony into a dumpster. They had a bug infestation. What the bed bugs? Bed bugs. They had a bed bug infestation. Infestation. What's the word? Infestation. Infestation. So they had to get rid of all the the, the beds, right? So the the students are watching this as the bus is driving into the parking lot, and they were like, "We're not staying there." <laughs> so <laughs> the coach gets off the bus already had a reserve room on the first floor where they weren't getting rid of the beds and went in and left the students, go, your room, go to your rooms. So the, of course the students called me and complained, crying that they're not going into those rooms. So one of the students handed the phone to the bus driver and the bus driver said, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. And I don't feel safe leaving these, was a women's team. I don't feel safe leaving these young women here. You need to talk to the coach. I tried to talk to him. So I'm talking to the bus driver and he really sounds like he knows what he's talking about. So after the ordeal is over, a couple of days later, the bus driver shows up in my office. He said, I just wanted to talk to you about what happened last week. And he's telling me, he says, da, 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 da. And when I was here, I, I didn't let that happen. I said, what? Turns out the bus driver was one of the 10 ADs. <laughs> Who had the job before I did? Oh my God. Oh. Yes. At that point, I said, Oh Lord, I, I, this, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. <laughs> it took me a year um, to get rid of that coach. A um, year. Yeah, it took, it took a year. Took a year. Yeah. Um, and the, the bus driver, former athletic director, Warned me. <laughs> he, he warned me. So I say to your students, do your homework. Don't make the mistake I did. Do your homework. Find out about that institution. They hired me because the, the previous director got involved in, in, in some NCAA uh, violations. So when I arrived and my background was compliance, I had done compliance for 15 years at the Division I level. I don't cheat. I don't break rules. They didn't want to hear that. And mm. yeah, okay. so my battle started day one. So do your homework before deciding what, don't just see a school and go get excited just because of the school and the reputation of their athletic program. Do your homework. Find out if that's a place where you can thrive and keep in mind you want to get someplace where you can grow so that maybe down the line, if there's an opportunity at that institution, people will think about you. Or if, it's a, if there's another institution and you think you might be able to aspire to a higher position, hopefully you've got some experience there that will help you get to that next level. The idea you should always have is I'm taking this job because it's a good job now but I know I can grow in that job because this is not the end result that I want. At the end of the day, I'm, I want to be in the big chair or whatever it may be that you want. I know I've got to earn my way there, which means I've got to learn along the way. So look at that, do your homework about the institution, find out if they've got some bad experiences and if those people who had those bad experiences are still there. 
a lot of times jobs are open for a reason. That, that, that's exactly it. There's a reason. <laughs> There's a reason why I was the 10th AD, no, the 8th AD in 10, in 10 years. And there was a reason for that. Yes. Now, are young professionals trying to go and progress through their careers need to understand from some of us what are some of the sacrifices that they're going to be required to make along the way? Because we know nothing is free. Uh, the, like I said, you're going to have to be willing to compromise some of your, you know, we're all idealistic when we arrive someplace. So you're going to have to compromise some of your ideas. Um, and you will definitely, without a doubt, have to give up on your personal time. The athletic director is never off. Remember that. You are never off. 24 hours a day. 24-7. Don't forget, don't forget the, the days. Talk about the hours, but don't forget the days. And I'll tell you why. I got the phone call at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. You will get the phone call at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And you will be expected to react appropriately. And if that means getting in your bed and driving back to campus or driving wherever whatever happened happened, then you had better be there because keep this in mind. And this is what I have to tell coaches all the time. That's not your 18 year old. That's somebody's baby. And I don't care if they're six foot five and 245 pounds of mass muscle. That's somebody's baby. And if you get that phone call at three o'clock in the morning, you better be there. Because the parents at some point will get a phone call too. And, and this has happened to me um, at that same institution. I got a phone call. I jumped in my car, went to the hospital because I wanted to make sure I was at that hospital before the parents got there. Because if they had gotten there and saw their, their child in the emergency room on a gurney and nobody from the school there, flags. Yes. It's, I made sure as soon as they pulled that curtain, I was standing right there next to their son talking. Hi, and I introduced myself because I know that what's going through their mind. So time is going to be something that you're going to have to give up. Um, if you are a person with a family, you need to have a conversation with that family and let them know this is a job that is important to me that I want. But there will be times when I'm going to be pulled away because the job is that demanding of me and I'm never going to be truly off. And that cell phone you see that is not the cell phone that my wife bought. <laughs> That's the one that I'm going to have to pick up half the time because there are issues. And I'm dealing with 18 year olds who don't belong to me, but I'm responsible for. It. So time. Is what you're going to have to give up. we just get some quick responses for our listeners. What book do you suggest aspiring sports administrators read? You know, when I, <laughs> book, um, there are all these self-help books out there. Um, and this may sound just as corny as I don't know what, but the one book that, that I always go back to that they all derive from is the Bible. 
I can't get away from it. That's a good one. If you find yourself doubting, if you find yourself fearful, if you don't have a sense of direction for whatever reason, and uh, you don't have to be a person who believes in a deity we call God, because there's enough in that book to give you reason to believe that there's something inside you that can make the difference. You alone have what it, what you need in order to get from point A to point B, regardless of what the situation is. And the Bible provides that. If you are a person who believes, as I do, and you're in a situation, or if you're about to embark upon a career, get off in a corner someplace by yourself, bow your head and say, show me where to go. Then open the book and just start reading from anywhere. But first ask to be shown where to go. Then open the book and you will be surprised how your footsteps would be ordered. But you gotta ask first because what's in that book, like I said, was written by people who knew they didn't know what to do and they were asking for help. So what they wrote in there is how they were told how to get from point A to point B. And that's why I say order your footsteps. That's the one book that will always help you regardless of what your situation is that I would recommend. What's been your best day in the big chair? Uh... Scenes. I was at uh, a school that, um, and I'm not saying it was because of me that it happened. When I got there, they had lost six, six, six straight games. Um, I arrived the night before a game, got to the game that next morning. They beat the team they weren't supposed to, to beat. They went on a winning streak and ended up winning the conference championship. And catch this, they had a losing record. Wow. Yes. I had never been at a school that had a losing record, but won the conference championship. The ch- conference championship gave them a record of four and six. Yeah. Wow. They just won the right games in a row towards the end when I got there and seeing their faces on the field. And I was on the field with a camera uh, when they won the game and seeing the tears and the joy it was just, it was unreal. It was a wonderful experience because a lot of those kids came from situations where that was the biggest moment they ever had in their lives. And you could see it changed them at that, at that moment, they were a changed person. They realized that they could accomplish something. It was a great feeling. And what's been your worst day in the chair? Um, when I decided that it was time for me to go. Okay. Because of not being able to control what was happening in the department. Like I said, there were too many influences that I thought were negative influences. I knew they were negative influences and they were going back down the same route they were going before I got there. And I didn't want to be a part of it. And I left without knowing where I was going to go. 
But I said, I got to go. <laughs> I got a phone call. Things had gotten so bad, something got into the news that my mother called me at midnight. And she said, I just saw something. Is, isn't this the school you work at? I said, oh. Wow. Yeah, it, it is. She says, you're, you're not involved in that. I said, no, no, I'm not. At that point, I knew I had to go. When you know, you know. You know. What is your go-to inspirational quote? Mm -hmm. I have a lot of them. But my favorite one is by Benjamin Franklin. And for me, it sort of sums up the life of a person who has any ambition. Um, And it's... um, Necessity is the mother of invention. Yes. Yeah. And when I say that to students, I have to explain it to them. And the way I sum it up is, if you want it that bad, you'll find a way to get it. And I think that quote just sort of sums up my life or the life of anyone who's got any ambition to get from here to there. Necessity is the mother of invention. You will find a way to make it happen if it's that important to you. What is a motivational movie that you suggest young professionals watch? Um, movie. I, I'm going to be honest, I don't go to the movies that often. Um, That's fair. How about... Um, up in Harlem with uh, Eddie Murphy and Della Reese and Richard Pryor. Harlem Nights. Harlem Nights. Harlem That's Nights. Harlem. Yes. Harlem Nights. And the reason for that is because when you walk away from the movie, you realize that the entire movie is about family. As crazy as all the stuff that's happening in that movie, the movie is about family and how important family is and staying together. That's true. I never thought about it that way. You're right. Uh, Daryl, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Are you on social media? Uh, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's about as social as the media as, I, yeah, I'm in LinkedIn. Okay. And Daryl is D-A-R-R-Y-L. Daryl mm-hmm. Pope. Dr. Daryl Pope, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us. We appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Good luck, everyone. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope that the notes you took from our guests will help you as you plan and build your career. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. View from the big chair, examining the cost to be the boss. I'm your host, Marlon Jones, and I thank you again for listening.